Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now Jesus himself there, instructing us to not be so earthly focused with our financial resources. Guys, we need in every area of our life, but also in particular the area of our finances, we need to be kingdom-minded and we need to be kingdom-directed. How you and I use our money speaks volumes about priorities in our lives. God has been generous to you and allows you to join His work by investing with your time and resources. Pastor David wants you to consider what you invest in the kingdom of God and the attitude of your heart when you're giving. God requires giving from a cheerful heart that trusts fully in God to supply for our needs. Since generosity is a gift, pray that God will give you a big heart to support His kingdom. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, a heartfelt, faith-filled gift. chapter 11, beginning in verse 28 and following, Luke tells us how Agabus stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability should send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So all around, they realized, man, in Judea, this is going to hit really hard. This is going to impact them very directly. Everyone suffered from this famine and from this drought. But those who had been excluded from the rest of the community, guess what? They suffered even greater. I mean, in a hard time for our community, but yet you're even cast out of the community. It's going to be even more difficult for you. Well, Paul saw this as a twofold opportunity to, to be able to assist them. It, number one, the first thing, it, it was just the right thing to do. He had brothers and sisters in Christ who were struggling. James 2 explains to us clearly that, that if we see a brother hungry or destitute of food, uh, we who uh, say we have faith, we need to act upon that situation, not simply pray and bless them and go on our merry way. Oh, you're, you're broke, you're destitute of food, you, you, you've run out of everything. Well, God bless you. I hope things go better with you tomorrow. And then we go on down the road. No, James says if we see a brother or sister in that situation that, man, we, we need to assist, we need to help. 
the whole situation of us taking a, a, a team to Louisiana. There were people there that needed help. They still need help, but it was an opportunity just for us to reach out in the love of Christ. That's in one way, but there's a multitude of ways that we can do this. Secondly, of this twofold opportunity that Paul saw, he said that it was an opportunity in a very tangible way for the connection of the whole body of Christ to come together, the Jew and the Gentile. Remember, the church in Jerusalem was primarily made out of converted Jews. And there was a real struggle with them in thinking that this Gentile could also become a Christian. So now Paul says, well, if we get these Gentile Christians assisting, you know what? That's going to soften the heart of these Jewish Christians. And so again, we see that going on. In Romans 5.26 tells how the, Jew, how the Gentile actually owes it to the Jew because of all the spiritual blessings that they had received from the Jews. Paul writes in Romans 5, he says, for they were pleased to do that. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So a very practical way that that Paul is saying that the Gentiles needed to bless the Jewish community of brothers. So not only the church in Corinth, but nearly all of the churches in Asia and in Macedonia were contributing to this fund because the need for assistance was so great. So from the recognized need came an organized response. A recognized need brought about an organized response. Paul clearly explains to the church how and when they ought to take this offering or this gift of compassion. What does he say there in verse 2? He says, on the first day of the week. Okay, church, what is the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday, yes. Sunday. So again, the the time that the Gentile church was then meeting together, they were meeting on Sundays as a celebration or as a recognition of the resurrection. So he says on the first day of the week. In other words, when you guys come together as a church, that's when it ought to happen. Let each one of you lay something aside. We'll get into more of that in, in a moment. He says also storing up as he may prosper. We'll look at that in a little bit. In order that there be no collections when I come. Paul wanted to make sure that they were giving out of their heart and not just because Paul was there you know, saying, hey, come on, you need, you need to give, you need to give. More often than not, we here as a church, if we have special speakers or special ones that come, we try not to take a special offering at that time. We either take an offering or uh, just take it from the funds, from, again, the, the, the regular support of the ministry. Sometimes you'll, you know that on our first Sundays when we take our mission offering, we can tell you who it's going to because we're going to have a speaker from that mission organization coming within the next week or two, and that's what this uh, offering is going to be about. Paul says, don't, don't be doing this when I'm there. Don't make it uncomfortable on you and, and make me feel weird about this thing. Just, just consider, as you come together on Sundays, to bring this gift 
store it up, and then when I come, we'll take care of it. One of the things we learn from the Apostle Paul, as well as history and the tradition of the Jewish synagogues and the early church, giving, financial giving for them was systematic, it was regular, it was organized, and it was handled with integrity. At least that's what the plan was, okay? I want you to get that down. Again, that giving, financial giving, should be systematic, regular, organized, and handled with integrity. Now, for those of you who've been a part of this fellowship for a while, you know that very seldom do we ever speak of money unless it just simply comes up as we go systematically through the word of God. Well, this is one of those occasions, okay? Now, if it offends you that the church speaks about finances, you're probably gonna be offended by much of your Bible, okay? Because the Bible speaks about it all throughout it. The Old Testament prophet, well, you, you go all the way back to the time of Moses and all that Moses wrote about the tithes and the offerings and everything. You could look at the words of the prophets. I love what Malachi tells us. In Malachi chapter three, again, from the words of, of the Lord telling the people in Malachi chapter three, verse 10 and 11, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Try me if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will catch this. If they are faithful in that, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So here in Malachi, just one of many places in the Old Testament prophets, here we find God's very specific command and his promise in reference to systematic and direct financial giving. Why, we could look at the book of Proverbs and man, there is just a, a, a great word, a plethora. There is a plethora of verses within the book of Proverbs about finances and about faithfulness in giving. Proverbs 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 states this. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So again, here we see this principle, a principle that if you're faithful to God in your finances, God, uh, again, will, will bring blessings upon you. And he says, be faithful with the first fruits of your finances. And again, this is all through Proverbs, this same concept, the same idea. Why did you know that Jesus even spoke about finances? Jesus in Matthew chapter six, one of, again, a multitude of places. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter six, verse 19 and on, says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now Jesus himself there, instructing us to not be so earthly focused with our financial resources. Guys, we need in every area of our life, but also in particular the area of our finances, we need to be kingdom-minded and we need to be kingdom-directed. We get to the point in the time of the early church there in the book of Acts and even beyond that. And we see where the early church was faithful to it, but they were also directed toward it. In Acts chapter four, where we read just earlier on, again, that they brought the proceeds of the things that they sold to the church. They laid it at the apostles' feet in order to be dispersed wherever the need might be. Paul's word to the, to the church, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven, Paul tells him, so let each one give, what does he say? As he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When was the last time you heard somebody chuckling when we did the offering? Huh? Yeah, that's what I thought. But God loves a cheerful giver, okay? Even as we see it in this present study, what Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. From Judaism, we actually learn that the discipline and this spiritual response of returning to God a portion of what he's blessed us with. For the Jew, it would have been very customary to to regularly give at least a tithe of their first fruits to the Lord, not what's left over. For years, I've had people ask me, it's kind of an ongoing question. Pastor, we want to become more regular in our giving to the Lord but we don't know if we should tithe from our gross income or from our net. And you know what the net is. Net is what's left after the taxes, after the health care, after the savings, after all the things. It's that bottom line. Do I tithe from the top or from the bottom? Well, my response has always been twofold. When the Lord instructed to give the tithe, it was always, always from the first fruits It was always off the top and not what's left over. Secondly, with the same idea, does the government take from you what's left over or do they take it from the top? Exactly. So does the Lord deserve any less? Oh, but but pastor, we're not under the law. We don't need to tithe, do we? Well, again, I'm going to bring you back to biblical and historical response. First of all, to help us to understand so that everybody's on the same page on here, the tithe is generally understood to be 10% of your income. Back in that day, if you were a farmer, that was 10% of your first fruit crops. If you were a merchant and you sold things, It would be 10% of the salary, or maybe you got bonuses or commission. It'd be 10% of that. Leviticus 27 makes it really clear for us. Again, Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, and all the tithe of the land 
rather of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock of whatever passes under the rod, and the rod was what they used as they counted, they would lay the rod over and as the sheep or the cattle, they would just tap it on the, on the top so that they could count each one. He said, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. The tenth one. But we're not under the law, you're gonna proclaim And at this point, it's getting a little bit louder. Wait a second. We're not under the law. Well, I agree. We're not under the law. And it's a good thing we're not under the law. For in actuality, the Jews in the Old Testament and the Jews in the New Testament until the time of the destruction of the temple, they paid much, much more than the tithe. Do you realize that? Way much more. They gave a total of five different Levitical offerings the burn offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, all of these found primarily in Leviticus chapter one through eight, as well as some other locations. That first one, the burn offering, you need to understand what that is. Because again, as, as, as a Jew, you are required to bring that burnt offering for the payment of your sin. As a worshiper, you'd bring the burnt offering in and it would be completely burnt up, completely uh, toasted to ashes completely sacrificed to the Lord, the burnt offering would be. The animal had to be without blemish. The worshiper then would place his hands on the head of the animal in that awareness that this innocent animal was standing in for him or her as a sinner and they would seek the Lord's forgiveness and then they killed the animal immediately and torched it, put it on the altar. The second offering, Second Levitical offering would be the meal offerings or the grain offerings. These were brought to one of the priests who took it there at the altar and they would take actually kind of a memorial portion, just a portion of it and put it on the fire and guess what? The priest would then eat the rest. The rest of it would be to feed the priest. Probably not at that time as people came in, though there would be a stock that they would you know, build up during that time. But again, the purpose of the meal offering was an offering of gifts, and it speaks of a life that's dedicated to generosity and to giving. Just the, the idea, man, I'm, I'm bringing this because my life is that way. I'm generous, and I want to give this from myself unto the Lord. The third one was the peace offering. Again, this was a meal that was shared with the Lord, shared with the Lord, with the priests, with some of the Levites and some of the other common Israelites. They would all come together. The worshiper was supposed to bring in a male or a female oxen or a sheep or a goat. The fat and the entrails were all burned up and the remainder of it was eaten along with the priest. And if it was a free will type offering, then all the worshipers themselves, they would gather. It was our rendition of a potluck, okay? Uh, hey, you guys bring the food, we're gonna share it, and we're gonna eat it all together. Of course, we don't have potlucks here, right? Because we don't do pot anymore, and we don't believe in luck. It's a fellowship dinner, agape fest, okay? So anyway, so this sacrifice was a sacrifice of praise, it was a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and it was pretty much mostly a voluntary act. You came and you brought it, and you shared with others. The fourth 
Levitical offering. In Leviticus 4, tells us of the offering for, guess what? Unintentional sins. Unintentional sins. The things I didn't mean to do, well, I still, I did it, and so I still gotta do an offering. And as a matter of fact, there may be some unintentional sins I don't even know that I did, but I ought to give an offering just to make sure that it's all forgiven. So again, this offering, again, covered, paid in full, the worshiper's unintentional weaknesses or failures or acts or words before the Lord, unintentional sins. A lot of times they're they're super difficult to identify. Sometimes we, we do something against someone, they're offended by it, man, we don't even realize it at the time. That's what this is all about. But then one time a year, they have the day of national atonement. That's called Yom Kippur. And on that day, the high priest sprinkled blood on the mercy seat for his own sins and for the sin of the nation. Now, the fifth and the last Levitical offering was the trespass offering. Very similar to the sin offering, but the main difference was that the trespass offering was an offering of cash, okay? It was an offering of money, for the sins of ignorance connected with fraud somehow. For example, if someone unintentionally cheated someone out of money or property, his sacrifice was to be equal to the amount that was taken plus one-fifth to the priest and to the one that's offended. So the priest got part of it, the person offended got part of it. It came out to the, the guy ended up repaying twice the amount that he had taken, plus a good percentage beyond that. So if you stop to think about the financial investment of the Jew in the Old Testament and in the New Testament until the temple was destroyed, first of all, they had the tithe. Straight 10% of all your income. This was the first fruits right off the top, including bonuses, commissions, everything, first fruits. Then add to that the need for the additional Levitical offerings, like the burnt offerings, the meal offerings, peace offerings, the unintentional sin offerings, and the trespass offerings. If we consider the finances involved in all of these Old Testament tithes and these offerings, we should all be bursting out singing, Jesus paid it all. (laughs) But don't forget the second verse, or the second portion of that phrase. All to him, I owe, okay? So we look at these offerings. There's no doubt that every one of them is actually a clear picture of Christ, a clear picture that he was the one that made the sacrifice for all of these. And in Christ, all of these have been complete and they're done. And when I come by faith to receive the sacrifice of Christ, all these things are paid. It's taken care of for me. No longer do I need to worry about, again, unintentional sin. No, he's paid for that sin. Well, it's not that you don't worry about it. You deal with it, but there's not a sacrifice that can be made for it. And all of these other things, all of these other offerings are a picture of the Lord, except for one, except for one. Jesus is not pictured in the tithe. All of these offerings for sin and these other things, that's what he, he did. But he's not pictured in the tithe. It's an interesting thing when you stop and pause to look at it. 
the tithe had absolutely nothing to do with the law. Nothing. As a matter of fact, the tithe was instituted long before the law was even given. That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.